Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing His people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Judges chapter number 13, and uh, I hope you had a good week this week. How many of you had a good week? All right, if you had a bad week, my mom says no one's listening when you complain, so... But might as well not tell anybody. If you uh, grew up helping your mom or your dad or whoever did the cooking in your house, if you ever helped them do the cooking, then you learned this statement. A little bit goes a long way. You probably heard that. I know growing up, whether it was salt or flour or baking soda, then you would know that that little bit would often just go a long way. A little salt or a little sugar or a little flour does the trick. I mean, uh, there's a reason that you have measurements for many recipes. How many of you cook without recipes? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you, even though you cook without recipes, you taste your own food? Okay, good. You know what? Most people, when you're doing that, why do you taste it as you're cooking? Because a little bit goes a long way. I don't put more salt in this. It'll be too salty. It can be too sweet. Uh, you put some baking soda in it, too much baking soda. It's gross. Uh, man, you put too much flour in something and things can explode. There's a lot that can happen. A little bit goes a long way. The same is it's true in cooking. But did you know it's also true when it comes to, uh, this is going to be weird, but it comes to insects. How is it that a little itty-bitty tiny thing like a termite can ruin an entire house? You know why? Because a little thing, little things can do a lot. You think about termites. How many of you have ever dealt with termites before? Boy, you think about termites and the damage that just a little group of termites can do. Just a few little baby termites, a few little small itty-bitty tiny little termites and you could see an entire house completely ruined. Well, why is that? It's because of this statement, and I want you to remember this statement today. A little does a lot. Why don't you say that with me this morning? Ready? A little, a little does a lot. This morning, as we come back to our passage we're going to come to Judges chapter number 13, and we're coming back into our series. The series is called Relentless. And the reason it's titled Relentless is because we're discovering that God is relentless in pursuing His people. God's grace and mercy is relentless with His people, that God, uh, He never gives up on His people. Aren't you thankful God never gives up on you? And He never quits on you. He never says, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm done. God doesn't do that. Though there are times we disappoint, and though there are times we let down, and though there are times that we maybe go contrary to God, God does not give up on his people. And that's really what the entire book of Judges is about. God's people, they're now living in the promised land. They're now uh, following God and seeing God work in their lives. But their relationship with God is very wishy-washy. It's very up and down. You remember God had given them two things he wanted from them as they moved into the promised land. Number one, uh, drive out or uh, uh, completely annihilate, just drive out or destroy the enemies of God. 
That was the first command. Hey, once you get in the promised land, drive out the enemies or destroy the enemies. Number two, once you get in the promised land, instruct the next generation, teach the next generation about who I am. Man, listen, those two things that God asked the children of Israel, those two things should still be some of our goals today, driving out that which is against God in our life, and then also teaching or instructing the next generation who, uh, who, who God is. I'm so thankful for our church and all the many ministry workers that we have, but I'm especially thankful for those who work with children and those who work in the nursery. Why? Because we're just trying to say we want to raise up the next generation knowing who God is. And that's the instruction that God gave to the children of Israel. But as you come to the book of Judges, you find that they failed to do those two things. Remember they got in the promised land, they failed to drive out or destroy all the inhabitants. They did some of them, but not all of them. And then the Bible says that they neglected to teach the next generation who God was. And Judges chapter 2 and verse number 12 and verse number 14 tell us that there arose up or came up a generation, a, a group of people that were growing up that did not even know the God of their fathers. Well, because of that, God would allow the children of Israel to become oppressed by their enemies, and then God would allow their children to make wrong choices that eventually led the children of Israel, the people of Israel, into this completely disorganized relationship with God. They were completely up and down. They, were, uh, they ignored God's commands, and then they would follow God, and then they would ignore God, and just back and forth they went. But then you come to Judges chapter 2 and verse number 16. Even though the children of Israel were up and down in their relationship with God, the very first word of Judges 2.16 is a great word. It says, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Well, what's that mean? It says, nevertheless, God raised up judges. Why did he raise up judges? Because God was not giving up on his people. They were rejecting him and walking away from him. Nevertheless, God didn't give up on them. And so God would bring into their lives different judges, different leaders that would come in and that would instruct the people in the ways of God, but then also they were there to point people back to God. We've already read about a number of judges, but today we come to another judge. And this morning, what we're going to discover in the life of the judge that we're going to study out is that phrase we just talked about a moment ago, a little does a lot. The judge, his name is Samson. His life is covered in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. Four chapters that we're going to cover this morning, so we need to get going, and we're going to have a great time studying out the life of Samson that a little does a lot. I want to start by reading two verses. Stand with me, if you would. Judges chapter 13, verse number 24, and verse number 25. Judges 13, verse number 24. The Word of God says this, And the woman bare a son. And called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. This is just the introduction to Samson's life. He's born and brought into the world to his parents, to Manoah, Samson's father's name, and his wife, Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, is unnamed. But he's brought into the world, and the Bible tells us he grew, and the Lord blessed him. We're going to discover that God had a great plan with the life of Samson. But in Samson's life, a little did a lot. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.
With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's take a moment and let's commit the time to the Lord. Ask him to speak to us. Ask him to help us today. And why don't you just commit to the Lord, God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you. If you speak to me, I'm listening to you and I will respond today. Dear Lord, we come before you, and God, we want to thank you for your love and your care for us, and Lord, we're so thankful for just how you use your word to help each one of us. And Lord, I don't know every need represented here today, but you do, God. There's each one of us that every one of us has a need to hear from you. Every one of us has a need to be challenged and encouraged and strengthened by your word. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we go through the service today, Father, that you would help and that you would encourage, and Father, that you would challenge us. We love you, and we pray that if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray, God, that you'd help them today to come to know you as Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. As we look at Samson's story this morning, we're going to see that a little does a lot. But this morning, this, what, what is going to be true in Samson's life is something that's true in ours as well. And so I want you to stay with me. We're going to kind of go through and discover some things about Samson's life. But then that last thought that we're going to get into is just the fact that a little does a lot. As you open your Bibles this morning and as we are there in Judges 13, I want you to notice, first of all, what I find as a perfect design. A perfect design. When you and I look at the life of Samson, it would not take long being introduced to Samson in Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. It wouldn't take long to realize that God had a great plan for Samson. God had something great in store for Samson. I want you to see it. Turn back a few verses to Judges 13 and verse number 2. Judges 13 and verse number 2, it says this, And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. As the angel of God comes to the wife of Manoah, he comes to her and he says, hey, listen, you haven't had any kids yet, but I'm coming to you on behalf of God to say God is going to give you a child. And that child is one that should be set apart or surrendered unto the Lord. If you look at verse number uh, five, when it says that he shall be a Nazarite unto God, the phrase a Nazarite unto God, it simply means that God's plan was for Samson and his family to be entirely surrendered to the Lord. A Nazarite vow was the vow of one saying, I am holy, completely, I am entirely belonging to God. Let me give you a few thoughts about the Nazarite vow. You can find this back in Leviticus as well as some other places in Deuteronomy and Numbers it's mentioned. The Nazarite vow meant that this person would have no vinegar their entire life. They would have no wine. 
They would never have grapes in any form. This person would not eat anything from a vine tree, from the kernels of the husk. They would not have their hair ever cut. This person, someone who would take this Nazarite vow, they would never touch dead bodies. Even in their family, if someone passed away right around them, they would get away from there and go through a, a period of cleansing. They were never to be around death. Basically, a Nazarite vow was saying, you are holy, completely, entirely, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely, you are separated entirely unto God. When we come to Judges 13, we need to find and see that this was God's plan for Samson and for his family. You would go, and here's what takes place in Judges chapter number 13. The angel comes to uh, Samson's mom, tells her. She goes to Manoah, her husband, and she says, hey, I met with a messenger that told me that I'm going to have a child, and I think the messenger was sent from God. And Manoah and, and this, his wife, they pray, and God, if that messenger was from you, send the messenger back. The messenger comes back to them, and there before them, the, he, Manoah says to the messenger, hey, what you told my wife, uh, could you tell me? I, I want to be on the inn. I want to know. And so the messenger tells everything to Manoah. You know why he did that? It's because men can't always believe their wives. Okay, they can. I'm just kidding. You know what? This, this is the thing, that he wanted to be on the end. He wanted to know what was going on. And so there it's told to him. And then Manoah and his wife, they're like, hey, let's make a sacrifice to God and let's have this time of dedication. And so they get some meat and they, they're doing a, an offering to the Lord and the craziest thing happens. The messenger of God that was in human form ascended to heaven in the smoke of the fire. So they knew that was an angel of God. And you read the story. Here's what took place. Manoah, after the angel goes up, Manoah goes, ah, we're going to die. We're going we're gonna to be killed. And the reason Manoah said that is because they believe that if you saw God, that you were going to be killed. But I want you to see something. And ladies, uh, ladies, especially those of you that are married, I don't want you to miss this. Because it's a, it's a super great thought. Do you know what happens if you go and you read Judges chapter 13 towards the middle of the chapter and the end of the chapter, excuse me, where all of this takes place? What you find is Manoah going, oh no, we're going to die. And he kind of almost doubts the word of the Lord. And his wife turns to him and said, hey, listen, if God made us a promise, we can stand on it. We're not going to die. And God, listen, God uses the faith of Manoah's wife to help Manoah take those steps that he needed to take. Ladies, can I just tell you this? Never underestimate the encouragement that you can play in the life of your family. Ladies, sometimes, sometimes the wife gets a lot of flack, but I'm going to tell you this morning that sometimes the wife can be the, the backbone of the family's faith. Not because she's the strongest, but listen, ladies, you have a different perspective sometimes. And for you to come alongside your husband and to say, listen, babe, I know we're going through a hard time, but our God has this. Something as simple as a statement that says, babe, we can still trust God. Something like that can go a long way. That's really only, that, that's all that Manoah's wife said to her. Hey, listen, God gave us his word. He's not going to kill us. 
and then Manoah and his wife move forward. I just want to tell you, ladies, don't ever, don't ever underestimate the power of an encouraging spoken word to your spouse. But really, it goes for the men too. Man, don't ever underestimate the power of encouraging words in the life of those closest to you. I look at Manoah and his wife, and I see them getting this message from the Lord, and I see them telling, um, telling them, I see God telling them, saying, hey, listen, I have a great plan. I have a great design for you and for your family. Your family is supposed to be set apart for me. Now, before we move on this morning, can I just tell you that this plan, the plan to be set apart to God, excuse me, that is still God's plan for every family today. Oh, he may not come by way of angel and say, no vinegar, make sure you follow these rules, don't ever cut your hair. God might not do that, but God has asked that every person be separated unto him. There's some great verses in scripture that help us with that. I think of a very popular verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present or bring or sacrifice your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul writes to the uh, house churches there in Rome, hey, listen, you should have a desire for your life to be set apart, a living sacrifice that's holy, righteous, that's acceptable unto God. Why? Because this is just your reasonable service. This is for every single person. Every single one of us should have the desire of our life being set apart or surrendered to the Lord. That's one of God's perfect designs in your life and mine. Just like Samson and his family. Hey, Samson, be dedicated to me. Still to this day, God says, hey, Christian, be dedicated to me. Hey, be surrendered to me. I think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23 where it says this, the very God of peace, sanctify you holy. And I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying, what Paul is writing to the church at at Thessalonica there, he's simply saying, hey, listen, I'm praying that God would help you understand that you are supposed to be entirely set apart for him. That means everything about you. If you know Christ is your savior, it belongs to the Lord. Man, my time, it's his My finances, they're his. My family, it's his. My hobbies, they belong to him. The way I speak, it belongs to him. The way I act, it belongs to him. Everything set apart for him. I see this morning, this was a perfect design in Samson's life, and it is in our life as well. We should be willing to surrender each aspect of our life to the Lord each and every day. And I hope this week, I hope this week you'll go into the week saying, God, I recognize your perfect design is that I would be set apart entirely for you. I see a perfect design this morning, but secondly, I want you to notice what I see is a a powerful deliverer. How many of you have read the story of Samson before? Slip your hand up. Man, you can't read the story of Samson as a kid without being like, I want to be like Samson. We had Samson the other night on Halloween, and I should have, I have a great picture. Where's Dustin? I got a great picture of Dustin as Samson on my phone. I'll show you, uh, show you sometime. Dustin as Samson, his son came, and then Samson, and then uh, uh, Dustin put on the, uh, the hair and everything. Man, you read the story of Samson. It's an amazing story. Samson was a very powerful and strong man, and as you travel through the life of Samson, it would not take long to realize Samson's power as a leader. Can I tell you this real quick, and I I, I won't really get into it, of all of the judges, of all of the judges, 
There is one judge that never asked for the people's help. Samson. Every feat that Samson had, every battle that he got into, it was the Lord and Samson. He was a powerful man. He was a strong, it kind of reminds me of me. Okay, I'm kidding. Listen, Samson, every one of us would pale, except for Leo. Leo would not, Leo and Samson are pretty close. But uh, man, we would pale in comparison to where Samson was. You say, well, I don't know the story of Samson. Let me just give you very quickly a little brief overview of Samson's life. If you were to go to <coughs> chapter number 14, you would find that God uses a relationship between Samson and a Philistine woman to bring down some Philistines. In this chapter, in chapters 14 and 15, what happens is Samson's traveling along his travels. He kills a lion with his bare hands. He goes to the bridal party that he would be at, and at the bridal party, uh, he gives the, uh, the Philistines a riddle. You see, the riddle had to do with the fact that he killed a lion when he went back to the lion, he found a beehive that had nested in the carcass of the lion. So he takes some honey out of the beehive and takes it back to his family. He gives his dad, his mom, this honey, and then he goes to that bridal party. At that bridal party, it's a wedding ceremony. He's about to get married to this Philistine woman, and he presents to the Philistine leaders a riddle. And the riddle has to do with that lion and with that honey. Well, he gives them seven days. They can't, they can't figure out the, they can't solve the riddle, figure out the answer of the riddle. And so finally, they, the Philistines, they come to this soon-to-be wife of Samson and they say, hey, listen, you tell us the riddle or we're going to kill you and your father. In fear, she tells. She says, it's, you know, what's stronger than a lion and what's sweeter than honey. You can go and read. I'm not giving you all the details because you can go and read it. I want you to. Go read Judges 14, 15, and 16. Awesome passage. Well, Samson goes, says, hey, you guys got an answer? They say, yeah. What's stronger than a lion? What's sweeter than honey? And Samson says something that I still don't understand to this day. He said, well, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know the answer. <laughs> Some of you are like, what does that mean? He's talking about his wife. He's like, hey, if you hadn't asked my wife, I still don't know if you hadn't plowed with my heifer. Like, maybe it was a compliment. <laughs> I just know I'm not saying it. <laughs> you know, you come and ask me something, I'm like, well, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, my wife would be like, what'd you call me? I'm about to throw down. I don't fight, but them's fighting words. Man, he says, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know the answer. And so then he goes, Samson, he travels to another city. He kills 30 Philistines, grabs their garments, and comes back up. In the time that he was gone, maybe a few days or a week, they had uh, the Philistines' wife, the Philistines' uh, father, this girl's father, gave her to another man. Samson comes back. He gives them the changes of garment. He goes to his Father-in-law says, hey, where's my wife? He goes, oh, I thought you left. I gave her to another man. Samson, he, because of that, he takes 300 foxes. He catches three, 300 foxes. We're not talking like a trapper with a whole system. Like We're talking one dude with his hands. 
Like, tell me that's not like, this is so cool. Man, he catches 300 foxes and then he ties them tail to tail and puts a firebrand in there. It's a stick on fire. I mean, I, I don't even know. He ties them together, slides that in there, and then throws them all over the cornfields and all the fields of the Philistines. And so now 150 different groups are running around lighting all of their fields on fire. And Samson's just like sitting in the background like, yeah, that's a day's work. <laughs> that took me four hours. You know, he's just sitting there. And they, the Philistines are like, hey, who did this? And they're like, oh, that Philistine, remember that girl? Well, the father gave her to somebody else, and Samson got ticked off. And so then they say, well, bring her and her father to us. They bring her and her father, and they kill him. They kill the girl and the father. Well, that just irritates Samson even more. And so then, he, you know, go to chapter 14 and 15. He's like, hey, you killed my wife and her father. Now I'm going to kill you. And then he does. He kills a bunch of them. And then he flees down south to Judah. He gets to Judah, and they come after him with an army. And they're there at the gates of a village of Judah. And they're like, hey, give us Samson. And they're like, all right, give us a few days. They go to Samson. Hey, Samson, the, the uh, Philistines, they're here to get you. They're going to kill all of us if you don't go. He says, all right, I'll let you tie me and take me to him, but promise me you won't harm me. They said, all right, we promise. Tied him up, take him to, the, take him to, to the, these Philistines. The Philistines, they march him to one of their cities, and they begin to celebrate the victory. And then he breaks the ropes and you hear the famous story of him picking up the jawbone of a donkey and killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And then after that, he's tired. And in his weariness, he says, God, I'm really thirsty. And God's like, well, pick up the jawbone. Grabs the jawbone, begins to tilt it back, and God brings water out of the jawbone of the donkey. I don't know about you, but next time I'm in Israel, I want to find that jawbone. You know, man, what was it? It was God. God was all over it. But then you find that Samson begins to make some serious wrong decisions. Judges chapter 15, he goes into a harlot. He is intimate with her. Judges 15, he carries the gates of a city because a trap is set, and he carries those gates off to a, a, a mountain nearby. Judges chapter 15, he has a few little victories over some different Philistine groups. But then you come to Judges chapter 16. And in Judges chapter 16, he falls in love with a woman by the name of Delilah. He falls in love with Delilah, and Delilah, along with the Philistines, set a trap that ends up killing him. But here's what takes place. He falls in love with Delilah, and she says to him, because she's going to be paid 1,100 pieces of silver by every Philistine leader, that's a lot of money. She's going to be paid that if she finds the key to his strength. So she goes to Samson, hey, Samson, what's the key to your strength? He says, well, if you'll tie me with seven vines that have never been used, then I'll be as weak as any other man. He goes to sleep. She ties him. She wakes him up. Samson, the Philistines be upon you. He breaks it and goes about his day. She comes back and she says, you're making a mockery of me. You don't love me. You don't like me. If, you're, if you don't tell me, we're done. And he tells her, well, fine. He says, if you would actually tie me with ropes that have never been used, then I'll be as any other man. She does that and, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up and he breaks that. 
Then she comes and she's crying to him and saying, you're mocking me, just tell me. And he says, all right, fine. If you'll take the seven locks of my hair, if you take my hair and put them into seven locks and put it inside of a web or a loom, you know, attach me to a loom, then I'll, then I'll be as weak as any other man. She does that and says, the Philistines be upon you. And you go, I love what takes place because the scripture would lead you to believe that he just like pops up attached to the loom. I mean, you know what a loom is? You know what you weave with and all that? How would you like to see somebody running down the street with one of those on them? Like, we're not talking a little itty-bitty one, you know. It's like one, my mother-in-law, she uses these, these looms that, you know, it's like the size of the pulpit. And see them like there and, <laughs> what? You know, and he's just walking around carrying this loom. Well, the Bible tells us that she goes, Delilah, and she begins to just antagonize him. She begins to just go, I mean, and day after day after day after day, she just nags him. And the scripture says it was to the point that his soul was vexed unto death, grieved unto death, troubled. He's like, man, death would be better than her right now. That's the point he was at. And so he finally tells her, if you cut my hair, I'll be as weak as any other man. She goes to sleep, or he goes to sleep. And you know what takes place? She cuts his hair. She says, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And the scripture, one of the saddest verses is verse number 20 of uh, Judges chapter number 16. Because what it says is that he got up to go as he would before, but he wist not. He knew not that the Lord had departed from him. They go and the Philistines capture him. They gouge out his eyes. They use him like a mule to grind in the, to grind in the mill. And then they bring him to celebrate before their God, Dagon. And one last time, Samson prays, God, use me and help me. And in that moment, God strengthens him. And he brings down the pillars of that house that he's in. And it crushes uh, more than 3,000 Philistines all at once. And Samson dies with them. And the whole entire story of Samson ends in Judges chapter 16, verse number 31, where his family comes and buries him. You say, Pastor, why are you telling us all of this? Because Samson was a powerful leader to the children of Israel. Listen, he was one that God wanted to use, and he was one, listen, that God did use. You go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 32, the hall of faith. You know whose name is there? Samson. Why? Because Samson was a man of faith. Samson was a man that trusted God in some of the small things. Listen, Samson was there that day, there, and during those 20 years as a very powerful leader in the life and the nation of Israel. Let me just point out this morning that the times when Samson was really, listen, the times when Samson was really accomplishing something, you go and reread, you read the story, it was the time when God was with Samson. Samson wasn't a powerful leader because of himself. Samson was a powerful leader because of his powerful God. And can I tell you that the same couldn't be true in your life, that you can be a powerful Christian. You say, well, I'm not strong like Samson. Samson's strength, you can go and read Judges 16. It didn't come from him. It didn't even come from his hair. It came from the Lord Jesus. It came from God Almighty. You know why Samson was such a powerful leader? Because God is willing to use those who are willing to be used. God uses those who are willing. Shamgar and the pointy stick, you know why God used him? He was willing. 
Ehud, you know why God used him? He was willing. Deborah, you know why God used her? She was willing. Barak, you know why God used him? He was willing. Othniel, Gideon, you go down the line, the reason they were used is because they were willing. Same is true in Samson's life. I see this morning that he, had the, he, he was a powerful deliverer for the children of Israel. We look and we find a perfect design. We find a powerful deliverer. But lastly, this morning, as we look at closing, I discover what I call a pitiful downfall. Pitiful downfall. As we look at the life of Samson, we have to know that God, and catch this this morning, I believe that God had more in store for Samson than what we read on the pages of Judges 13 through 16. I believe that God wanted to use Samson to help secure the peace of Israel. Samson's story is different from many of the other judges because at the end of, Ju- of Samson's life, we don't read that the children of Israel went to a time of peace. But we read that with other judges. I believe that was God's plan. Listen, I believe that was God's plan in Samson's life. He wanted to use Samson for more. And he said in Judges 13.5 that Samson was, is going to begin to bring defeat to the Philistines. And that's exactly what Samson did, but I think that God had more in store. God had more in store. But in this story, can I give you this this morning? In this story, Samson allowed himself to walk away from God and to walk away from God's intentions for his life. So here's my question today. How does this strong, powerful leader of the children of Israel, the people of God, how does he go from being that to being a broken down slave, grinding in a mill with his, eye, with his eyes gouged out, being mocked and ridiculed while the Philistines worship their false god Dagon? Well, we need to know tonight, this morning, that it did not happen overnight. Do you know why Samson ended up in Judges 16.30 dying with the enemies? It's because of our opening statement. A little does a lot. I'm going to tell you this this morning. The little things did a lot of damage in Samson's life. Some of the little decisions that Samson's made, some of those small choices, they caused massive damage in the life of Samson and in the life of those that he loved. And those little decisions ultimately led to this pitiful downfall. Say, Pastor, what were some of the little decisions that he made? I'm glad you asked, because I have them written down. I believe one of the little decisions Samson made that led to his downfall was his addiction to self-reliance. Samson was one that through the story, he was addicted to self-reliance. More often than not, we find Samson depending upon himself more than he was depending upon the Lord. Throughout the story of Samson, we actually only find a handful of times where Samson prayed to the Lord. In the situation with the riddle backfiring, backfiring, Samson, I believe, gave them the riddle in pride. When he killed the lion and got the honey, only Samson knew about it. And the the writer goes to tell us that he did not tell his parents. He went away. He was not going to tell them. Why? Because Samson thought, I can handle this. Samson thought, I've touched something that's dead. I've touched something that's died. I can handle this. 
with the foxes and tying all of them together. It may have seemed like a good idea, but nowhere in there do you find God. Listen, nowhere in there do you find God associated with that plan. And while all these instances may seem small, they lead to a self-reliant man. Can I tell you this morning that when you and I make decisions, though they may seem small, every decision we make should be a decision made because of God. Because of God saying, hey, here's the direction I want you to go. Hey, here's the decision I want you to make. When we begin to direct our own steps, we will always find ourselves further and further away from God. Here's what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, 133, order my steps in thy word. God, you direct my steps. God, you help my decisions. Samson made some little decisions without the Lord. He was addicted to self-reliance. It was a small thing, but it ultimately ended in a large pain. His addiction to self-reliance, I see also a little thing. It was called an admittance of a little sin. He just allowed a little sin in his life. Throughout the entire story of Samson, we find him continually engaging in sensuality, involved in sexual sins that seem like just small things. He was continually getting involved in ill-advised relationships, and his relationship with Delilah was ultimately what led to his death. He thought he could handle it. He thought he could tame this beast in his life, the beast of sin, but he was wrong. He allowed a little sin in and by way of those wrong relationships and it ended up killing him. Can I tell you that this is a big one for each of us because often, often many Christians think that they can handle sin. And can I tell you this morning that you can't handle sin, sin will always handle you. You can't control sin. Sin will always control you. As we allow our other little sins into our life, we'd soon discover that to be true. It controls us. And just a little bit of sin allowed into our life can be what ultimately ruins a family, ruins an individual. Let me ask you this morning, how many families have been ruined by just a little bit of sin? Can I tell you that most bank robbers don't start with robbing banks? They start with small things. The same is true in any sin. Most adulterers, they don't start with the affair. They start with a little secret flirting or a little secret viewing online. Most drug overdoses don't happen because it was someone's first time. Most of them start with just that little high here and there. Most broken relationships don't start with that major fight. They usually start with a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of lying. You see, the strongholds of sin in our life in the follower of, a Jesus, of, of Jesus Christ, they don't start out as a stronghold. They start out as just a little thing. And those little things do a lot. When speaking about this, about sin, Paul wrote this in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You put a little leaven in, you know what it does? It takes care of everything. Galatians 6, 7 through 8, 
Paul wrote this, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What is, what is Paul saying? Well, he's saying, hey, listen, what you plant is going to be what comes out. How did Samson end up this way? Well, he ended up this way because he had some self-reliance. Just a little bit of pride, just a little bit of self-reliance. He ended up this way because there was just a little bit of sin. But I see lastly this morning, he ended up this way because of his avoidance of total surrender. The avoidance of total surrender. As I read the story of Samson, it appears as though he is what we would call a fence walker. You know what a fence walker is? I remember growing up, I would be with some of my friends and one of the things they would try to do, and, and you probably tried it too, is maybe with a chain link, fence, chain link fence or a picket fence or a fence that has uh, you know, the, the board right across the top of it, a chain link fence that has that bar. Anybody ever tried to walk on those? You know what? You know what you find? You can't do that very well. You're going to fall off, especially when your friends are shaking the fence. And I remember times in my life growing up when there'd be somebody who'd say, hey, I can walk on this like a tightrope. And probably every kid does that. They do it maybe not with fences, but curbs, right? You're walking down the road and there's that one little parking curb thing. And what do most kids do? What do most adults do? Man, most adults, you know, jump up on there and just start walking. There's a lot of Christians like that. You say, pastor, what do you mean? There's a lot of Christians that they... They say, you know, I don't want to be sold out to God, but I know I'm not going to be in the world, so I'm just going to be a fence walker. I'm just going to try to please both. I'm going to try to have a little, little bit on my weight, a little bit with the Lord, and then, oh, just a little bit back in the world, a little bit with the Lord, and oh, a little bit back with the world. That's what Samson was. Samson, listen, Samson knew God's plan in his life. Samson knew God wanted him to be holy and entirely surrendered to him, to the Lord. But Samson failed to make that step. He loved the Lord and trusted in the Lord, but he walked the fence. God wanted him to be totally surrendered, but he always, you know what he did? He kept back a little. He kept back a little. Can I tell you this morning that our God is worthy of all of us, not just some of us. Stop holding back a little. Stop holding back the little things of your heart. Why? Because you just need to get in all the way. Total surrender. What led to Samson's demise? What led to being there grinding in the temple of the Philistines to their god Dagon and them all worshiping and him with his eyes gouged out and dying where God had not intended for him to die? And yes, he killed many Philistines in his death, but I believe that God had way more in store for him. What led him to that point? It was just the little things, just a little sin, just a little pride just a little bit reserved for himself. Can I challenge you this morning? Be careful of the little things. With the, Samson of sto uh, with the story of Samson, I can't help but think that the way it ended was not what God had planned. And while God knew it would go that way, I don't believe that that was the end that God had in mind for Samson. 
But Samson allowed some little things, some little distractions, some little sins, some little pride to derail the plans that God had for him. And the truth is this morning that if we're not careful, the same will be said of our lives. Oh, you may not end up grinding in the mill of the Philistines with your eyes gouged out. That probably is not going to happen. But we will miss out on God's plan. We will miss out on God's blessing. We will miss out on God's excellent plan for the life of each one of us. So this morning, I want to challenge you with this. Be careful of the little things this week. When your heart begins to be sold into pride, be careful. This week when the devil comes and he just says, hey, here's a little bit, be careful. My daughter, Lena and I, we, got a, we had our, a date yesterday. We do a daddy-daughter date every now and then. And Lena and I went on a date yesterday. And we went to, went to a Chinese place at Dragon Express down there on I-90. And I don't know, it's all right. But at the end of every Chinese meal, you get a fortune cookie. We got our fortune cookies, and we always make fun of them and say silly things. She read hers. I'm not exaggerating when I'm about to tell you her, what her cookie said. Her cookie said something along the lines, and I have it in my office to go show you the quote. It said something along the lines of, don't always say no to temptation because it may never come again. That was the fortune in a fortune cookie. Can I tell you something? Don't ever give in to temptation and count on it coming again. You know what our culture is doing? Our culture is saying this, hey, just a little bit, right? Hey, just a little bit. Hey, listen, just a little in your life, it won't do anything. Hey, just a little bit of sin. Hey, just a little bit of that. Listen, it's just a little. Can I tell you, that's a trick of the devil. Why? Because a little bit does a lot. And so I want to challenge you this week. Will you make a commitment? You're going to be careful of the little things. Be careful of the little sins, that little pride, that little part you're holding back. But then this morning, can I tell you that if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's not a little thing. You need to jump in. You need to receive Christ as your Savior. I would ask you the question, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you know that if you died today, you're going to heaven? The truth is, every one of us are going to spend eternity somewhere, so do you know Jesus Christ is in your life? Have you trusted him? And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior today, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. He gave his life on the cross so that you could have eternal life. And when he rose again from the dead, he was proving that he was a God and can be trusted. And he does not expect you to do a bunch of things in order to find forgiveness from him. He just wants you to turn back to him. Listen, every single person will spend eternity somewhere. And the only way we spend eternity with God in heaven is by asking Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sin and to be our Savior, putting our faith and our trust completely in him, not in a church, not in baptism, not in works, but solely in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, don't put it off. It's not a little thing. It's the best, most major decision you will ever make in your life. 
And so I challenge you this morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, be careful of the little things. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's not a little thing. Get it taken care of today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that this sermon was an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you have any questions about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.